Now to my guest, Chris Hedges. Chris is one of our nation's most insightful cultural critics and authors. For almost 20 years, he was a foreign correspondent in war zones and conflicts in Central America, the Middle East, Africa, and the Balkans. He had reported for the New York Times, the Christian Science Monitor, and while at the Times, Chris received the 2002 Pulitzer Prize for reporting on global terrorism. The same year, he received Amnesty International's Global Award for Human Rights Journalism. Chris's most recent book is The World As It Is, Dispatches on the Myth of the Human Progress. It's a collection of Chris's most insightful and timeless essays on our current political climate in the Middle East and the decline and decay of the American empire. He also writes a twice weekly, or a weekly, I should say, column for the award-winning political blog Truth Dig. Nice to have you with us today, Chris. Thank you. Chris, I'm extremely concerned about creeping fascism, which has no longer, to me, looks like it's creeping. It's, it's standing up and almost proud of itself, since it has so many people in the media on both the left and right willing to defend the excesses of it. So I would like, if you would, to hear what uh, some research I have from the former senator uh, Church, Frank Church. Here's what he said. In 1975, quote, the National Security Agency's capability at any time could be turned around on the American people and no American would have any privacy left. There would be no place to hide. And he said it could enable it to impose total tyranny and there would be no way to fight back. He chaired the famous church committee into the uh, investigations of the unlawful FBI COINTEL program and he chaired the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And in 19, uh, 1975, he again spoke out about the government and the National Security Agency and what it was doing. Now that same National Security Agency is building a $2 billion facility in Utah, which will be used to house the world's most powerful supercomputer to monitor virtually every phone call, email, Internet usage, purchase and rental, break all encryptions, and then store everybody's data permanently. In fact, the former head of the program for the National Security Agency recently held his thumb and forefinger close together and said, we are like that far from a turnkey totalitarian state. So, looking back on Senator Church's warning and, pro and how prophetic it is, would you give us your overview of what we're experiencing today and why the mainstream media, including the Keith Obermans and those on the left and the liberals as well as conservatives seem reluctant to acknowledge this at all or to address it or to challenge it? Well, the reason they won't challenge it is because uh, their livelihood depends, number one, on corporate dollars, and number two, on access uh, to those people who are putting these policies in place. This is a bipartisan effort. Um, we have seen a, an utter distortion of the legal system to permit precisely the kind of activity that you're speaking about. Um, the, the National Defense Authorization Act, and I'm, I sued the president and uh, Leon Panetta over that. It, we're now waiting for the ruling from Judge Forrest. Uh, the use of the Espionage Act six times by the Obama administration against leakers and whistleblowers who had exposed war crimes, including to the New York Times, apparently um, 
the uh, refusal to restore habeas corpus. Um, so everything is being put in place legally. Uh, and, of course, the FISA Amendment Act itself, uh, which Obama supported, uh, which retroactively makes legal what under our Constitution had traditionally been illegal, and you mentioned the site in Utah, the warrantless wiretapping, monitoring, and eavesdropping on essentially all Americans. Um, the corporate state, the, the elite within the corporate state understand um, far better perhaps than we do uh, the uh, political turmoil and dislocation that we are about to enter with the collapse of globalization uh, and the reconfiguration of not only American society, but the global society into a form of neo-feudalism, a, a rapacious, tiny, uh, totally empowered oligarchic elite uh, and vast under and a vast underclass. And of course, and I know you've made a film about this, uh, you know, poverty, the, the, uh, um, poverty is essentially invisible. I mean, the, the numbers that it affects are staggering, about a third of the country. Uh, and then, of course, that deep insecurity within uh, the middle class itself, um, they know it's not going to get better. And they have put into place the security and surveillance state uh, to essentially permit these corporate forces to continue to disembowel the nation. Um, unregulated, unfettered capitalism, as Karl Marx understood, is a revolutionary force. It commodifies everything. Human beings are commodities. The natural world is a commodity that it then exploits as it is until exhaustion or collapse. In business schools, they call this harvesting. Um, and you see it in every aspect of our lives, um, when the hedge fund managers become uh, deeply interested in inner-city schools, it's not because they want to teach uh, people in marginal communities or children in marginal communities to read and write. It's because they know the federal government spends over $600 billion a year on education, and they want it, uh, along with everything else. And frankly, there are no impediments left within the formal mechanisms of power to stop them from getting it. I appreciate that insight. Chris, in my travels to do this new film I'm doing on the power of tyranny, which will be premiering at the Ethical Culture Center on June 15th, I keep coming up with the following, no matter where I'm at, that it is not the poor that are going to be rising up in protest against their becoming, as you said, invisible, and we're talking about a massive number, but also the working poor, those who have jobs, uh, on and off, but are under uh, serving their family with a little bit of money they make, frequently working at two jobs. I, I just finished filming a guy who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning and works uh, at a job until 3 in the afternoon, then goes to work to another job, then goes home at night, and he's been doing this for three years. Then I find that there's 350 people in the United States with PhDs and advanced degrees who are on food stamps wow. and bagging groceries. One guy is a, a adjunct professor 22 years in education, but he's bagging groceries with students at a particular store. And what I do find is that many of the people leading this effort, as you have shown in your work, uh, leading against the people who are causing this problem, are a rejected in, intel, in intelligentsia set. 
These are people who are bright, but do not fit and are not included. They're not in the official protection safety nets, and yet they're smart enough to know what's going on. They have an understanding of the problems. They can see the bigger picture. They're the ones who are now the bridge to communicate with the poorer working class, the underclasses, and the middle class because they can articulate this. They have a background in scholarship. They can understand things, and they're completely off the radar in all of our movements, but that's what I found. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I wrote a column that talked about that Monday. These déclassé intellectuals, you know, this was a huge dispute between Marx and the anarchist Bakunin, and Bakunin said, I think correctly, that these déclassé intellectuals uh, you know, people who, journalists without jobs, lawyers without clients, uh, teachers without classrooms, uh, social workers uh, without positions, uh, they become the tinder for revolution. Uh, and I think Bakunin's right. Now, Marx was very dismissive of, of, of this group of disenfranchised intellectuals, as he was, of course, of the, the poor and the working class, or certainly the poor, um, the lumpen proletariat. Um, so what they do bridge two worlds, and I think that um, revolutions are started not because of poverty so much as, and this was true in all of the uprisings that I covered for 20 years as a foreign correspondent, including in Latin America. Uh, revolutions are led by those who uh, perceive a gap between their expectations and what the wider society offers them. And that was, in large part, the engine that drove the Occupy movement in Zuccotti. These were, by and large, incredibly well-educated young men and women, uh, immensely talented, immensely bright, who got out into the wider world and realized there was no place for them. And that becomes very dangerous, because uh, uh, they... Uh, have not only a background, but I would say an emotional or psychological composition, uh, which those on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum uh, have essentially had beaten out of them through the violence of poverty, um, and not, and of course the the physical violence of um, the police state. This is what stop and frisk is about. It's what our mass incarceration is about. Um, so yeah, I think that. Uh, this dispossessed professional class, these, you know, and, and where you, you look at the rates of unemployment for uh, men and women leaving college, and of course the, the, the massive debt burdens, and the New York Times, uh, to its credit, on Sunday did a very long investigative piece on students who uh, are graduating, having to pay $900 a month and working in restaurants, this kind of stuff. Um, this is only going to get worse. And, um, and, and that really is the tinder uh, that can trigger serious opposition and serious revolt. Um, whether it will manifest itself through the Occupy movement or a mutation of the Occupy movement or maybe even something new, I don't know, but it's not going away. I appreciate that insight. Thank you. You're familiar with the, uh, with, with the great... Italian intellectual novelist poet Umberto Eco, right? He, yes, he I wrote in, a, in my book American Fascists, I uh, begin the book by quoting an essay uh, called Ur Fascism that he wrote. Oh, great! Well, when you look at what was happening in Mussolini's Italy in the twenties and Hitler's Germany in, in the thirties, 
and you see it in other cultures as well, one of the groups that they go after are the people who seem capable of understanding the issue and then denigrate them. You know, the, the, we, we, like Bill O'Reilly, how many times has he called people uh, eggheads and airheads uh, as if, or pinhead? As if if you can think and if you have a sense of scholarship and if you're willing to do an analysis, not just react to something, we can't trust or value your opinion. And so they keep having these pundits on who are just rank and file uh, true believers. Where are we supposed to get in the mainstream or the alternative media some directions to see the larger picture if we have excluded these people from even considering them a value? Well, you're not going to get it from corporate-sponsored media, and that includes MSNBC. You have to think of these people as uh, courtiers. Uh, all they do is purvey in court gossip. They give a different spin. Uh, but, you know, the issues that they're speaking about, well, the, let's call them the non-issues, the trivia, the, the you know, celebrity meltdowns, the, the latest sort of gaffe by... Uh, a political leader. It's the same agenda on Fox as it is on MSNBC. Uh, it's just spun out in a different way. And that's the problem, because the real issues, which center around, uh, you know, um, the inability to create jobs, uh, student debt, the foreclosure, uh, and uh, bank repossessions of family homes, uh, the catastrophic assault on the environment. I mean, all of these issues never appear because the corporate sponsors are diverting you with essentially forms of entertainment. Um, and, and that's why I don't own a television. I don't invest emotional or intellectual time in the political theater between Barack and Obama. Um, you know, the, the uh, it's as Freud said, the narcissism of minor difference. I mean, just just on the health care bill, as a, as a really good example. I mean, it was cooked up in the Heritage Foundation, put into practice by Romney in 2006 when he was governor of Massachusetts, adopted by Obama after corporate lo lobbyists wrote in a provision of $447 billion in subsidies, the equivalent of the bank bailout bill for the pharmaceutical and insurance industry, and rammed down our throats. Um, and, and so any real debate about the bill is fictional. Um, it, it's... Uh, uh, because the guts of it uh, are, uh, I mean, Romney care, in essence, is Obamacare. Now, and that's just true on every single major issue, including the National Defense Authorization Act, which permits the government uh, to use the military to detain and hold American citizens without due process, and not only that, but to ship them off to uh, military facilities, including our offshore penal colonies, until, in the language of the legislation, the end of hostilities. Um, that was support, sponsored by uh, Carl Levin and, and John McCain. Uh, it was supported by both the Democratic and Republican parties. Uh, and, um, and, and frankly, you know, those of us who seek to understand what's happening um, have to be uh, very proactive and uh, have to uh, essentially turn off the cant and noise of the commercial media. Uh, and, and I think a lot of it is returning to a print-based culture. I mean, it, the, the beauty of the Internet is that if you want to read Sections 1021 and Section 1022 of the National Defense Authorization Act, you can. Um, unfortunately, I think the majority of people don't. 
they, you know, they, they will listen to spin. But it, it, it is, uh, without a lot of effort, it is possible for us to do our own research, which is frankly the only way we're going to begin to understand what's happening around us. My final question for you is why we have not, as a society, awakened ourselves to the federal government turning the United States into what could be perceived as a metaphorical prison camp. And just two examples. The TSA is now not just in airports. For example, down in Houston, we've gotten a report that they are doing undercover TSA uh, checks with police working together to ride, quote, ride buses, platform, uh, perform random bag search on the street, conduct canine sweeps, as well as place uniform and uh, plainclothes officers at all railroad platforms. Uh, They're also the what is called the uh, Viper teams have conducted 8,000 unannounced security screenings at every bus terminal, train station, port, and highway rest stop throughout the United States, and they've been militarized. So now they virtually can do anything they want without having anyone actually challenge them. They make a mistake, too bad for you. At the same time, I'm concerned because more and more reports come out of how they're taking another step, another step, another step, and seeing that they're not getting a pushback, and you know they're not getting anyone stopping them. Uh, the question is, how far will they go? How far in our current political climate can they go to eventually arrest you or me or 10,000 other activists and progressives who have some form and are speaking out or demonstrating now that they already we have found through information that at, at every one of these um, Occupy movements they're doing uh, facial screening. How far do you think they will go? What do you see happening? It depends uh, how far the system unravels. Um, uh, but look to Greece. Uh, if things, especially if there's a currency collapse, uh, if there is widespread instability, they will use all of the tools at their disposal uh, to uh, maintain control. And legally, um, uh, they've already essentially created the groundwork to do that, uh, because I think they anticipate precisely uh, this kind of turmoil and unrest. The kind of lifestyle that we have led, the kind of consumption that we have carried out is just not sustainable. Uh, and they know it. Um, so how far will they go? Well, look, I mean, they, they do it through two ways. Fear, they make us afraid. Uh, and once you're afraid, you sort of start thinking with another part of your brain. Uh, you know, as Randolph Bourne said, war is the health of the state. Uh, this era of perpetual war justifies this kind of intrusion. They first use these mechanisms against marginal communities, especially uh, Muslim Americans, undocumented workers, I think the drug war is emblematic as a kind of paradigm, an important paradigm for what will visit, could be visited upon the rest of us. When you burst down the door, you know, when a militarized police unit in Oakland burst down the door of somebody, they have a warrant. Um, they, it's a military operation. I mean, they're carrying automatic weapons. They have Kevlar uh, body armor. They have command and control centers. There's very little difference between that and a night raid in Fallujah. Um, And that's what happens with empire, that as the internal uh, or the guts of empire begins to corrode, uh, you bring back the uh, external forms of control on the outer reaches of empire 
into the homeland. Um, that's what destroyed Athenian democracy, as Thucydides wrote. The tyranny that Athens imposed on others, it finally imposed on itself. And so how far will they go? Well, it was interesting in the trial that we had in federal court uh, on the National Defense Authorization Act, one of the uh, other plaintiffs with me, Alex O'Brien, is from U.S. Days of Rage, and when WikiLeaks released the email, five million email uh, exchanges from Stafford, this uh, private security firm, and remember, you know, with huge privatization of intelligence and security, these people aren't just working for the government, they're also working for corporations. Uh, they were trying to link U.S. Days of Rage to Al-Qaeda. As absurd as that is, um, uh, that's the goal, because once they do that, once, you know, Occupy movements or dissidents or any kind of legitimate dissent uh, can be linked to uh, the war on terror, then all of these mechanisms can and will be used against them. Um, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll go after the lower profile figures first. Uh, but if history is any guide, um, it doesn't look good for a lot of us.